0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs, almost the whole thing, but not quite. (laughs) My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul if you find it, There will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. This is God's word.
1: Uh, thanks, Ashley. <clears throat> Be ready in season and out of season. She just found out she was reading that this morning. Uh, and it was quite a bit. I tried to get the whole book of Proverbs on there, but it didn't fit. That was a joke. Okay, tough tough group today. Uh, you can tell it's fall because the ladies are starting to wish or will fall into existence with their boot wearing. Um, <laughs> They want the weather to get colder, but uh, thankfully it is starting to cool down. We're in the middle of a series. My name is Jonathan, by the way. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and we're doing a series on Proverbs. You should have received a worship folder when you came in. There's an insert there, and on one side are the 150 verses that Ashley just read, and on the other side is the outline. Uh, This series is going to take us through the fall to Advent at the end of November, and as many of you are aware, we've been looking at different topics from the book of Proverbs. How does wisdom in becoming a wise person affect things like the way you plan, the way you handle wealth, the way you think about sex and beauty, the way you approach work, and last week, uh, how wisdom helps us to become self-controlled. And remember, we're talking about wisdom or we're defining it as the ability to handle the complex realities of life. It is, at the very least, knowing the difference between right and wrong. But it's much more than that. There's a lot of gray areas in life. There are a lot of situations where the moral rules don't necessarily apply in a cut-and-dry fashion. So wisdom is being able to problem-solve and work through those things, sift through them informed by or based on the fear of the Lord. And so I want to say, if you're here and not a Christian as we get started, or you're investigating the claims of Christianity, we believe the only way a person can become wise is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. I hope the sermon will help make sense of that for you some this morning. And this week, as you can see there, we're going to look at the subject of family, and I think you'll find there's something in these passages for everyone. Uh, Hopefully there is. I picked enough for there to be. Um, Amber did, uh, Amber Ellswick, who was supposed to be reading, but her kids have uh, strep throat this morning, uh, so she couldn't be here, asked me early in the week if I would just go ahead and read the whole book. She said the scripture reading union that she belongs to will only allow her to read a half a page uh, of the Bible in one sitting, Uh, so it was kind of funny. But I think You'll find whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're a spouse, there are a lot of layers of relationships in these verses that are influencing and affecting one another. But I also want to come this morning with a sober heart because uh, the design of God and the expectation of Proverbs with respect to the family is very broken. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you need me to uh, take you very far for you to see that. Uh, many of you have been affected by that as well. Sin has destroyed the family in many ways, and has left a lot of wreckage in its wake. One illustration of this would be, my wife who's a school teacher, has one class with 14 boys in it, and four girls. So 18, 14 boys. Uh, and I think 10 or 11 of those boys, out of the 14, have no father that's either at home with them or that they've ever known. Uh, and so they have no one to talk with them about authority. So they come to school, and they don't view Uh, my wife is an authority, so they don't respect her. No one's talked to them about that. Um, In fact, there's a great deal of suffering that's occurred in our world as a result of the family not working. It's a powerful institution designed by God that can really make or break a person. And I would even go so far as to say, as the family goes, so goes the civilization. I realize it's kind of a sweeping statement, but I think it really is true in many ways. When I say the word family, every one of us in the room has an idea in our head and various emotions rise up in our hearts and so the subject can be painful and even confusing as well as pleasant and and, and a a great thing to talk about. But it kind of runs the gamut. The good news, however, is God's work to redeem and save doesn't go around the family. It goes right through it. The family is the God-designed means of seeing generation after generation come to know and believe the gospel of Jesus and find wisdom the family is absolutely essential for wisdom in fact the work of redemption and making the world right again starting with sinners like us is accomplished by a father through his son and so we're going to hopefully look more at that as we finish this morning their relationship becomes a model for us how how family can produce good in the world And that's amazing because many of us have a very warped or broken view or understanding of family. So what does it tell us? The book of Proverbs uh, tells us uh, three things, or at least uh, two of those on your outline there, so if you'll look. How does it speak to children? How does it speak to parents? Uh, And then how does the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son... Help us, make it possible, give us the power to live wisely and have wise families and carry on wisdom from generation to generation to generation, as we uh, heard in the call to worship. Now, by way of preparation, as I move through these first two points, I I, I just want you to know I'm going to throw out a number of questions, and it might seem rapid fire and kind of quick, but my goal in that is to just give us some diagnostic questions, both for children and for parents, food for thought. And so parents, I would encourage you to talk with your kids about some of these questions. I realize you may not get to write all of them down. Kids, talk with your parents, students, teenagers, whoever's in the room. Uh, Maybe they can be used in your community group, I don't know. But that's part of my goal, is just to make this practical. So pray that it would be practical, even as we're going through it, okay? Uh, So what does it have to say to children, the book of Proverbs? First point there. Well, every one of us in the room is a child of someone, right? Right? Your parents may be alive, they may have passed away, maybe they're divorced and you see one of them more than the other, or maybe you're adopted, in which case uh, you've been made a part of a family that you weren't born into. Nevertheless, we're all children. So as I'm speaking to children or as I'm talking to kids, I'm really talking to all of us, right? Um, All the Proverbs are addressed to my son. And as you're reading this, whether you're 85 or 15, they're talking to you right? We all need instruction. So I'm going to speak to kids in particular, but uh, adults, or all of us rather, in general. So kids, first, and we're just going to walk through some of these Proverbs. In what area, where in your life are you most disciplined? Do you see another word related uh, to discipline in the word, or excuse me, another word in, that, that we're familiar with in the word discipline? The word disciple. Disciple is there too. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. So the area where you're most disciplined is typically the area where you're really focused, following, pursuing, right? What gets a lot of your attention? Maybe it's a sport like baseball or soccer. Maybe it's academics. You'll stay up as late as you need to study and make the A, but it's the easy stuff that we're into. That's, the, that's, the, uh, that's where it's easy for us to listen and get instruction, We tend to listen to the coach because we want to get better at the skill or the sport, but what if it's something you don't enjoy or you don't do well? How do you respond when you're corrected? What's your reaction to this statement? You're wrong. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 1, and Proverbs 13, verse 1. The writer says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I love the fact that the Bible uses the word stupid. It gives me great uh, latitude to use the word stupid. When I'm describing someone who's stupid. How is stupid defined? When you hate being corrected. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 13. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke, a scoffer, somebody who doesn't need to be told. They already know. You can't tell them something that they don't already know. Proverbs says a wise person loves learning that they are wrong. They love being corrected. They love ins- being instructed in something that they don't do well. But it also says if you don't like being told you're wrong or being corrected by an authority in your life, you are stupid. Students, who do you refer to as stupid? Stupid. What kinds of people or what kinds of things do you refer to? When's the last time you said those words? That's stupid. Or he's stupid. What was it? What was the cause? Proverbs says, you don't like being corrected. That's you. But not only that, who do you enjoy spending time with? What qualities do you look for in another person to be a friend? Look at Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So if you like being with people who are wise, Proverbs says you will become wise when you spend time with foolish people. For example, friends who hate advice and hate being corrected. The promise is you'll, ju- you'll, be, you'll become just like them. What are the things you are most willing to spend money on? What do you save for? What are you really excited about buying Students, kids, right? You're saving money right now. What's what's it for? Look at Proverbs 23, uh, verse 23, almost toward the bottom of the page. There, the writer says, "Listen to your father." Excuse me. Let me read verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Your willingness to buy something is directly related to the value you assign to it, right? Proverbs calls us to spend our resources on the truth, on instruction, on understanding, so that you can be wise. So where do you like, where are you wanting to spend uh, your money? Not only that, what foods do you enjoy eating? This is one of my favorites, right? What would you describe as sweet or delicious? Look down there at the next to the last paragraph. It's Proverbs 24, verse 13 and 14. Fill in the blank of this statement I, with respect to food. I love, what is it? Lattes, donuts, pizza. For me, it's Harry's seafood fondue. Drew's laughing because he knows he's had it. Timo Strawbridge, who is uh, one of the staff people at our mother church, says they've got to put crack or something in it to make it so good. Because you you just start eating it and you order more. It's just so good, right? What is it about that? Why do I like it so much? Why why do you like any of those things, any of those foods? It gives you a good feeling. Your taste buds like it. It fills your stomach. It, It settles. It does something for you, right? But the problem is you will eventually get hungry again. And look at Proverbs 24, 13 and 14. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know, know then that wisdom is like that. It's such, it's the same thing, but to your soul. And if you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs says that wisdom is Harry's seafood fondue for your soul, right? It fills up your soul rather than your stomach and satisfies your hunger for spiritual nourishment for eternity though. Because sadly I eat Harry's seafood fondue, I'm hungry again a couple hours later. But wisdom isn't like that. And so the question, students, children, kids, all of us, have you tasted wisdom And I just want to say, it's a long process. It takes time to become disciplined at anything, right? You don't start out being able to shoot a three-pointer, hit a driver 300 yards, hit a home run, run a four-minute mile. You don't become a doctor after one class of biology in high school, right? Things take time. Discipline takes time. Cultivating a long obedience in the same direction is very difficult. It's a long-haul process, But I want you to listen, particularly teenager students. The internet and social media in particular has pushed us towards self-absorption and this constant desire for something new, something breaking, right? Every second of every minute of every day, right? What's trending on Twitter today will be old news tomorrow. People have forgotten about it. Because a trend tends to be short-lived anyway. That's why they call it trending. But I want to caution you, wisdom doesn't work like that. Proverbs is not describing a life like that. Where it's instant. Or where, you know, the the next thing will happen and boom, you'll achieve wisdom. Right? This is not a book about technique. It's a book about slogging it out through the life of faith. And as Drew mentioned earlier, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Calling on, begging God to make you more wise. I want to read you some... Words of wisdom from a counseling professor in Philadelphia named David Pallison. He says this, I find myself weary of dramatic hyperbole and descriptions of the ideal Christian life. Extreme, radical, passionate, awesome, edgy, on fire, dramatic. I can understand the emotional appeal of such hyperbole. After all, who wants to live a half-baked, mediocre, listless, dull, bland, and boring life? But the opposite of listless is not necessarily all fired up. Our faith contains a wonderfully curious surprise. For starters, I don't think many of us are capable of sustaining that adrenaline level. If you did manage to sustain your passion for a week, a year, a decade, it bears pondering whether the wider culture's obsession with extreme adventure and radically awesome hyperbole might have infiltrated your operating system with a virus. If the passion ebbs... Is what really matters lost and gone? Or does it mean that it's time to grow up? Consider the graces that God steadily works to produce in us. They are certainly different from what we naturally gravitate to. In that sense, his purposes are extreme, radical, on fire, exceedingly beyond all we can ask or imagine. Glory, glory, hallelujah. But then again, the Holy Spirit seems on fire to produce a life afire with rather unfiery things. His view of what is significant cuts awesome down to size while being the furthest thing from dull. He is forming in you things that are good for the long haul, good for times when your feelings are marked with pain or loneliness, good for days or months or years of perplexity and struggle, good for the small deaths of old age and then for dying, good for helping others going through the same troubles, good for Job, good for David, good for Jesus, good for an innumerable company of those who endure purposefully, And fruitfully, he is forming what is good for living life well, wisely, and on purpose. Good for sustainability. Consider a baker's dozen of graces that are set on fire with the odd fire of God's purposes. Mercy, patience, gratitude, goodness, commitment, constructive candor, bearing one another's burdens, a sense of need and weakness, Reliance on another, peacemaking, endurance, humility, love. Not one of these sets off conspicuous fireworks, but these are worth more than anything else you could ever desire. Jesus lived this baker's dozen of good graces, and he's making you into his image. And let me say, this is the kind of person we in this church want families to be producing in their children. What we want for... All of us. But as you have children, as you have young minds molding, shaping, you know, that are your responsibility, that's what we want to produce. That's the kind of people we want. And so that brings us to parents. So look at the second point there. What, the bio, uh, what does the book have to say to parents? Much of the book is written to a young man by his father. So it stands to reason parents can find it very helpful. And we've heard it throughout this series But let me say it again, the Proverbs are not promises or statements of guaranteed outcomes. Rather, they are calling the hearer to faith and fear in the midst of sin's reality. Remember, way back, uh, you may have been here, you may have not, but Drew talked about one of the ways that we have to read Proverbs, one of the grids we have to use is reality. And so often we forget when we apply black and white rules to things that that doesn't always fit into reality. Proverbs is very much centered in reality. It is the Lord alone who can instill wisdom and bring life. So in general, you find the outcomes described in Proverbs to be true, but not always. So what does it have for parents? Well, let me begin again with this idea of discipline, right? You see the word disciple in discipline. So throughout the Proverbs, on your sheet, the word discipline is used. You see it there a number of times. Well, if you replace it with the word disciple, right, as a verb, to disciple someone, you can begin to see how critical family relationships are to the learning and the communication of wisdom. So let me just read a couple uh, out of uh, just a sampling here. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipling or be wary of his reproof. Whoever loves discipling loves knowledge. Uh, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to disciple him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipling drives it far from him. It gives you a little different picture of discipling, doesn't it? Hopefully it enhances that a bit. Parents, I want to say, our job is to lead our children to wisdom and train them in it. We cannot change their hearts, but we can flood, absolutely flood their hearts with wisdom. We can point them to wisdom personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Proverbs is about the heart and discipling it in wisdom, not about techniques for behavior modification. Right? In traditional societies, you parented with the goal of control. You wanted to instill fear, but for the wrong reasons, because you really were nothing more than a dictator. In modern society, you parent with the goal of affirmation and building self-esteem. You're a best friend. Nothing more. But in the Bible, you parent with the goal of helping your children become wise. You're you're like a coach or a guide. You want them to see how foolish, excuse me, how much foolishness exists in their heart and you want to replace it with wisdom. Eradicate, get rid of the foolishness, replace it with wisdom. And so the tool that God has given for this purpose, according to Proverbs, one of the tools, what seems like often the main tool, is the rod. Now, nine different times the word rod is used throughout the book of Proverbs, always in the context of corrective instruction. The Hebrew word actually refers to the part of a tree from which a shepherd might make a staff, which he used to disciple his sheep, right? Or a weapon that uh, might be made from it as well. But its use is always done in the context of affection and respect and warmth. You don't ever see Proverbs... Leading you or advocating toward child abuse. It's not about that. In fact, look at Proverbs 13, verse 24. Uh, it's kind of at the bottom of that second set, excuse me, the third set of Proverbs there. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And then I'm going to jump down to Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So I want you to see the connection between love and the rod. Loving parents seek to correct the faults of their children because they know that their child's healing, their protection, their very life is at stake in this. Do you believe that, parents, about your children? Your disciplining, your discipling of them, Their very life is on the line. Loving parents seek the good of their kids so they discipline. Therefore, they discipline. Proverbs says, unloving parents, on the other hand, turn their backs on their children and they show that by their lack of discipline and their sparing of the rod. In fact, Proverbs says, in handing the children over to evil, the parents are revealing their hatred of their children. The sense in Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14, is actually more like, because you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Not if you strike him with a rod, but because. So striking him with the rod is the means by which you are keeping him from death. The goal is wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline Drives it far from him. So folly is bound up in here. There's lots of foolishness. And in order to get it out. The rod of of discipline. The rod of discipling is required. Not only that. Jump down to 29.15. The very last paragraph on your sheet. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof actually give wisdom. They impart wisdom. It's not for physical pain its purpose is for eradicating foolishness and bringing wisdom and i want you to know that is so radically countercultural to what western culture is teaching western culture is leading western culture is encouraging parents in as they as they parent their children not only that there's a training component here parents proverbs 22 verse 6 i'm going to focus on the first half not the second half Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Look at the first half. Do you have a training method? What is your training method? Because rest assured, all kids are receiving training. We're all being trained in something. But what the character of the trainer is and the content of the training is, those are the things that matter. And so, do you have a training program for your children? Let me back up to a verse that I applied to kids. we we'll apply it to parents as well. Verse, uh, uh, Chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Where have you, where might you be leading your children into foolishness? Are they your companion in folly? Rest assured, they're walking with you. At least you want them to, right? But where are you taking them? Is it toward having the perfect transcript for college so you can graduate and get a good job and have a comfortable life? Maybe it's toward materialism, spending money constantly on on stuff. Do your children spend more time walking with you through Target than they do walking with you discussing the fear of the Lord, how to plan, how to use wealth and money, how to think about sex and beauty, how to approach some of these topics that this dad in the book of Proverbs is writing to his son about? Rest assured, your attitudes and the way you take instruction or correction will be repeated because they will be seen and they'll be followed by your children. Your children are parrots of what they hear you. And I'm not telling those of you who are parents something you didn't know already. Depending on how old your children are. You're seeing this in multiple ways, right? The objects and the content of your excitement will fuel their excitement. the the content and object of their excitement. Now, I I just want to use this as a diagnostic. Look down there at Proverbs 23, uh, verses 15 and 16. Let me read these verses. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. So try this, fill in the blank. My son, if your heart is... my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak, fill in the blanks. Are you more joyful when they make the team or make the grade or when you see them learning to love their siblings as much as they love themselves? Are you more excited when they talk about their home runs or how they're learning to diagnose the cause of their discontentment with physical appearance? What are the things that you really, your inmost being exalts and gets excited about when they talk about? Chances are, if it is something that is leading them toward foolishness and you're getting excited about that, they're going to think, wow, this is okay. Last thing I want to do with respect to parents uh, is this. I want to ask, do you think of your children, do you tend to view your children more like a trophy or an arrow? Okay, okay. Like a trophy or an arrow. Think about a trophy. It's something you get for your hard work. It's something that you get rewarded uh, for your, your skills. And at the end of the day, really, it's a reflection on who? You. Right? The more significant the contest, the bigger the trophy. Right? The only time that you take trophies out of the house or out of your office is to what? Show them off. They're only for display. And so, is the goal of your parenting to produce wonderful, shiny displays to the world as a testimony of your hard work? Be careful! Be careful that your quest for excellence and hard work in your kids doesn't turn into a trophy-making operation, because that's exactly the way that our culture is leading us, wants us, is encouraging us to parent, and it's it's really scary contrast that idea of trophy with arrows. Arrows are created for the express purpose of hitting a target. They are sharpened and they are prepared to be used. Arrows do not sit still on display. They are for shooting. Now think about the ancient world. Arrows existed to aid in defeating the enemy. And so my question is, are you sharpening and preparing your children to shoot at the enemy? It's a very different strategy than trophy making. The Bible, in fact, never compares children to a trophy. But Psalm 127 does say that children are, quote, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. What do you use arrows for? To shoot at the enemy. So are you preparing your children? Are you sharpening them to shoot at the enemy? Or polishing them? so that they'll stay on the mantle, and you can show them off when friends come over. I hope you can see, whether you're a child, age doesn't matter, it's, it's all of us. Or you're a parent, Proverbs has a lot to say, but in order to get this work done, you've got to go to the third point. You've got to look at our Father in Heaven and His Son, and this is where I want to finish. Jesus, who was the most worthy trophy Son who has ever lived, became an arrow. He became an arrow aimed right at the heart of the enemy so that we, you and I, could be made sons and daughters. First John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given or has shown to us that we would be called the sons and the daughters of God. And so now, as a result of that work, Jesus says in John 17 and John 21, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so now I am sending these And so as individuals and as families, Jesus is aiming us at the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit. We needed to be rescued from hell itself. And so this most loyal and most obedient son was treated as if he was the most disloyal and disobedient. He was disadvantaged so that you and I might be advantaged. He was kicked out of the family. And the father turned his face away, as we sang earlier, so that you and I might be brought into the family. And so the way the father has loved and provided for us in Jesus is the way we love our children. God the father gave us what we needed most, not what we wanted most. And kids, the way Jesus honors and obeys his dad is the way you obey your parents. The way the father sent his son like an arrow into the belly of the enemy is the call and the purpose of parenting. And it's the only way wisdom's going to be transferred. Because that's what wise living looks like. To know the fear of the Lord, to take up his mission, and get busy with his work. The way Jesus went obediently and joyfully, despising the shame of the cross, but talking like a child all the way, is the call for us as children, no matter what our age is. So, how do you get there? Well, we've already sung about it, but seeing Jesus on the cross lose the delight and the care and the provision of his father so we could gain it. Knowing that frees us from acting like orphans. It secures us, gives us a new heart, a new spirit that loves wisdom and discipline. But it also frees us from rebellion and humbles us into loyal, obedient followers, disciples who can say, not my will, but yours. And so it's the loving care and provision of the father showered on us that produces security in us and the dependence and the obedience of the Son that's worked into us by His Spirit that produces humility. And the more those truths come home to your heart and life, the more wise you will become. And so parents, the more that you see our Father giving in order to do us good, even though it was hard, the more you'll be willing to pursue goodness for your kids, especially when it's hard. And all of us kids... Students, the more you come to see Jesus' love of obedience and trust in his Father's goodness for him, the more you'll enjoy and the more you'll commit yourself to instruction and understanding and wisdom. No matter how bad or good your parents are now or were in the past, the Gospel says we have a Heavenly Father who's vowed to do us good, and his vow is backed by his word, and his word is Jesus Christ. And so he's producing in us dependence as a people, as families, as parents and as children because he wants to change our hearts. And parents, our goal should be to see our kids' hearts change. We can't do it, but we can point them to the only one who will. So let's pray and ask that God would help us to do that uh, as families and as a church in our community. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you who were most obedient, most loyal, most worthy of being shown off as a trophy. We're willing to become turned away. We're willing to become uh, ignored and treated as if you were not a son and treated as if you were the most disobedient and most disloyal so that we could have life. So we who deserved not, not to have you, not to know the Father's smile and love and provision might get it, Thank you for that mighty work of salvation. And we pray that it would produce in us, as individuals, as families, indeed as a church, a people, uh, hearts that are characterized by those graces we read earlier. Contentment, love, humility, gentleness, bearing with one another. All of those things. And that that those beautiful works would be something that we in our family relationships talk about as we walk by the way, and when we rise, and when we lie down, and that it really would change us, and that in changing us, you'd help us to change our community, our city, and our world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as you go from here, the hope that you have, the hope that I have, that God goes with us is this benediction, this good word over us, and it's a promise that uh, as we go to beg him for the faith, uh, and beg him for the patience to work wisdom into our hearts and also the lives of our children. Um, This is his promise that he's going to get that work done. Uh, So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.